Well, we know that um, the living God speaks to us through his living word by his spirit. So we come now to God's word together. And we're looking into a passage from John's Gospel. It's uh, on page uh, 1066 in the Bibles, 1066, number to remember. And uh, if you want to turn it up, we'll look at it in a moment or two. Yeah, if you've been here for a while, you would know, or just a week or two, in fact, you'll know that uh, we're on Sunday mornings together, we're looking through um, parts of the Bible, and we're looking at John's Gospel at the moment. John is a, a biography of Jesus, written by John, was one of his disciples, one of his followers. He was an eyewitness to all that Jesus said and did, and he wrote it up uh, for uh, others to know. And... Uh, We've been looking into that. And we've been with Jesus in these early chapters. We're in John 4 today. As he journeys around uh, what uh, is Israel in those days, in the early part of his ministry, his disciples are with him, those that he's kind of called to follow him, and probably a bunch of others as well. Uh, they're learning on the way with Jesus as disciples did. That was how it worked. And, uh, well, let's, uh, verses uh, 1 to 3, give us a picture of actually how it worked and what's going on. So let's have a look at that. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. That's John the Baptist. We've been hearing about him. Uh, you can find out about him in the previous chapters. Although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left uh, Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Last time you may remember that, that Jesus is, is located in the Jerusalem area, that's in the south of uh, the country as it then was, uh, and uh, he'd been hanging out there for a f uh, possibly a few weeks, obviously we don't exactly know the strict detailed time scale, but during that time he'd encountered uh, the Pharisees, we heard about them, the Pharisees, they were like the kind of religious enthusiasts of the, of the day, I think uh, we, we were reminded, I think it was Sim who mentioned a couple of weeks ago that, that they were, their, their, their title was based on the idea they wanted to be pure for God. They wanted to live by the law and they wanted everyone to be really pure as far as God's law is concerned uh, and getting ready for God to do something. That's what they were, that was their big deal. I suppose they were a bit like the Taliban in, in kind of Muslim countries today, very zealous to, for the law to be done. And they were perhaps not quite as um, uh, violent or tough as the Taliban, but you know, it was that kind of spirit that they had about them. There were some other things about them too. And these guys had been noticing that, uh, and, and noting that John the Baptist was uh, baptizing people, and Jesus was as well. And, uh, you know, they were comparing the two, and there was a little bit of controversy we heard about last time. Because when people became disciples in those days, whether of John the Baptist or of Jesus, they got baptized. There's that phrase there. Did you notice it? It talked about Jesus gaining and baptizing disciples. That's what happened. And because there was this controversy, Jesus kind of sees this as his cue to return to the north of the country where he came from. I guess he felt he'd been around uh, Jerusalem long enough at this period uh, he met Nicodemus, if you remember, he was in Jerusalem. He'd been around for the Passover. He'd created a bit of a stir in the temple. We read that in chapter 2. And now he heads back towards his home territory in the north, up, up north in Galilee. 
<clears throat> just before I kind of go on from that, baptism is that sign of being a disciple. When people become disciples, they are baptized. That's what Jesus did then. That's what he told the disciples to do when other people became disciples. At the end of Matthew's gospel, he said, go and make disciples. And when they become disciples, baptize them. So if you're a follower of Jesus and you haven't been baptized, well, maybe it's something you should think about. If, uh, you know, get baptized, go public with your faith in Jesus. And as we already said, there's a baptism coming up, at least one on the 29th of May. If there's too many for them, we'll have another one later on, won't we? So you've heard about the notices. I was going to put it in my talk. I won't repeat it, but do talk to Dan if you feel you should like to do that. So Jesus is going to head back to Galilee then. It's about 80 miles as the crow flies or whatever a, a Middle East, if there's crows in Israel, I expect there are. If it was flying, it would go 80 miles. Uh, in a straight line, so it's probably a lot more walking. It's going to take several days for Jesus and the disciples to make that journey from the south in Judea up to uh, their home territory of Galilee. Uh, Let's read what happens, verse 4. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans, or if you look at the little A there, it's a footnote. Another translation is, it's an idiom. Jews do not use dishes. Samaritans have used. So here's Jesus then. He's going through Samaria. And on the road, he stops at this town, Sychar. Now, Samaria, you need to know, was not a popular place for the Jews. In fact, the Samaritans were you like the enemies of, of, of the Jews. Not that they fought against each other, but they were, shall we say, very disapproving of them. Now, when we think of Samaritans, what do we think of? If I say Samaritan, what's the first word that comes into your head? Good. That's right. And the, re, uh, the good Samaritan, or some of you may have thought of the helpline, but yeah, we're thinking, and even that's based on good Samaritans. Now, at the time... Uh, which is really why Jesus' story that has made us think of Samaritans as good Samaritans, at the time, everyone in Israel would never have thought of the word good <laughs> alongside the word Samaritan because the Samaritans were bad people. They really didn't like them at all. Uh, and there was a reason for that that went back into their history, which I won't go into the detail of. But, but basically what had happened is that the, these Samaritans were, had originally, generations back, been kind of pure Jewish people, members of the tribes of Israel. But during the exile, um, they had kind of got, some of them had been Jews that had stayed in the land, and they got all mixed up in terms of their, their kind of uh, 
breeding or, or kind of having families with the, the people around them, so they were considered to be kind of impure in that way. But not only that, perhaps even worse for some uh, Jews was the fact that they kind of reconstructed their own kind of religion. So they had a kind of Jewish-based faith, but it was like a, a kind of their own kind. You see what I mean? And it, it was... It was not the same as the Jewish one, and you know, you know, that kind of thing didn't play well. So you know, the Samaritans were, you know, not really, you know, Samaria wasn't a place most Jews like to hang around in. So there's Jesus in one of these Samaritan towns. He has to go that way because that is the normal route. So the Samarian pro- the Samaritan Samaria, rather, the province where they lived, is on, on his route northwards to Galilee. And he goes through the town. It's the middle of the day. They've probably been walking eight hours. It's midday. He's very hot. Jesus is tired. He sits by the well. That well's very famous for its history. He's resting, and then a woman comes up to get some water from the well. And Jesus does an astonishing thing, an outrageous thing. He asks this woman for a drink. He says, do you mind? Can you give me a drink? I'm a bit thirsty. Uh, that, why is that outrageous? Doesn't seem anything wrong with that. But, you know, first of all, she's a woman. And it was most uh, inappropriate for uh, a single man uh, to approach or have any interaction with, with a woman, a single woman. Just as it is in some cultures today. This is a massive um, faux pas. Would have been the most inappropriate thing to do. That's the first thing. Second thing... She's a Samaritan. And, you know, that's not going to happen. You know, that's not what Jews did with Samaritans. They kept away from each other. Thirdly, because of this religious thing, the the Samaritans were reckoned to be impure. So you you would never ask someone, a Samaritan came along, can I have some, some water from your cup? Outrageous. In fact, the Samaritan woman, the lady, she says, well, she points it out. This isn't how, what are you, why are you doing this? How come you're asking me for this? You shouldn't be doing this. I don't think she's being grumpy. She's genuinely astonished that Jesus should be uh, asking her for a drink of water. Isn't that amazing? Who was the last person we saw in conversation with Jesus? Do you remember? John's Gospel? Who was it? Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a member of the Pharisees, that group I told you about. Talks to Jesus. Jesus talks to him, answers his questions. Now here's this woman at the exact opposite end of the scale. Couldn't be more different. And yet Jesus is happy to talk to her. Even she's shocked. Tells us something about Jesus. He's for everyone. Everyone. And he's able and he's willing and he will cross the barriers we put up. It doesn't matter to him how outrageous it might be. Because, you see, something matters more to Jesus in this conversation than the barrier. Something matters more than the fact that she was a woman, that she was a Samaritan, that it shouldn't be done. There was something more important to Jesus that that was going to push through any kind of barrier. And we see that as he answers her question in verse 10. Look at verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. 
Two things matter to Jesus more than this barrier stuff. Two things matter enough to make this woman feel awkward. And what are they? Number one is the gift of God. And number two is who Jesus is. Do you remember what John says at the end of his gospel? Why he wrote it? What did he want his readers to understand? He wanted us to know who Jesus is, to believe in him, and to have life through his name. He wanted people to know, John, when he wrote the gospel, he wanted people to know who Jesus is, and he wanted to know that there can be life in his name. Jesus says, if you knew who I am and what kind of gift I can give you, then you wouldn't be too bothered about the barriers. In fact, you would have asked me for something I can give you. This matters more than anything else. It matters more than anything else that people have the chance to receive the gift God offers and discover who Jesus is. And that's a good reason to risk offending someone. It's a great reason for crossing a barrier, whatever kind of barrier it might be. It's a fantastic uh, reason for putting our prejudices and preconceptions behind us. Are we going to do that like Jesus did? Because, you see, there's this gift. And the first thing about the gift that he offers is that it's a gift that breaks down barriers. And the New Testament is full of stuff about how through Jesus, barriers between men and women and rich and poor and slave and free and so on, Jew and Greek, are broken down. And here's Jesus doing that right here in this village in Samaria. Are we going to walk that way? Are we willing? Do we believe that the gift of God and who Jesus is is the most kind of significant thing that there is? And it doesn't matter what our prejudices might be. We want people to know that. See, Jesus tells her that God has a gift for her, that Jesus himself can give this gift to her. And what is the gift? He says he describes it as living water. Uh, And this woman then starts to question she has a conversation, the conversation goes on as we'll read. How on earth is, you know, she's thinking of, of the well. He's got no bucket. In fact, let's read verse 11. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father uh, Jacob who gave us the well and drank from the water himself? And did as did his sons and his livestock. She kind of thinks Jesus is talking about water from the well. She's kind of saying, well, how can you get a well without a bucket? <laughs> you know, she's saying, you've got to magic the well up out of the bucket somehow. Obviously, uh, she's thinking Jesus is talking about water that you drink from the well. And Jesus tells her it's not water from the well he's talking about. It's something else. In fact, let's read on. Let's read from verse 13. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to come, keep coming here to draw water. So this is the gift of living water, Jesus promises. See, Jesus points out to this lady that what he's offering is much better than what's in the well. 
Not because he can get it out without a bucket, but because the water that he's talking about is, is more satisfying in a completely different way. Jesus says, drink water from the well and you'll be thirsty again. Drink water that I give you, that's it. And he then goes on to say, I'm not talking about physical water. What does he say there? Do you see, notice that? He said it will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He's talking about something that isn't physical water, but kind of has connections with it. Now, the lady, Samaritan lady, probably wouldn't have known this, uh, but in the Old Testament, in Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 2, God talks about himself as the spring of living water. There's a moving passage where God says to the people of Israel, you've turned away from me. He said, I'm the spring of living water. And what have you done? You've gone and made yourself kind of cisterns, kind of stone stuff to put water in. And you've tried to go other ways and fill it up with water. And the cisterns are broken. It's all leaked out. And, and while, while you were doing all of this with your foreign gods, I was right there. I was the spring of living water. And you've just turned your back on me. That was Jeremiah talking to the people in, his, in Israel years ago. This idea that God himself is like, a source of spiritual satisfaction for his people. There's one little passage, you, we've seen it before, but it's very important. If you'd like to uh, have a bit of finger exercise, uh, you could turn to page 868, keep one finger in uh, 1066. Uh, there's a, a little passage in Ezekiel. I think Dan or Sim may have read it uh, a week or two ago, but it's a very important passage. It's, uh, Ezekiel uh, 35, 36, verse 25 it's on page 868. And this is another prophet in the Old Testament. Bringing God's word to God's people. Promising something new for them. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone. It's an image, isn't it? And give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. It's a great passage. It talks about being clean. It talks about getting away from idols. It talks about a, a new spirit, God's spirit put into his people so that from within they have this desire to, to love him and live for him and and just be the people he wants them to be. That promise, water from God, the Holy Spirit. And it's all kind of captured up in this image Jesus uses. I will give you this gift of living water. Jesus is promising spiritual satisfaction, isn't he? And he's saying it's a gift from God that satisfies our spiritual thirst in a, a deep and fundamental way once and for all. People are so thirsty, aren't they? Look at the culture around for spiritual uh, reality or for spirituality, for meaning, for direction, for purpose. And we'll, some of us perhaps or some of, some of the people that, that we know will almost do anything to try and get that. You know, we'll go anywhere, we'll pay anything, we'll try anything if only to kind of meet the, the, the deep thirst within us. 
Jesus says, I can, you don't have to pay for anything. You don't have to try anything. You don't have to go anywhere. Jesus says, I can give you that freely. It's a gift from God. It's great, good news. And it's a gift, he says, and it becomes eternal life. The life of God now and then on for eternity. Just like Jesus said to Nicodemus, we need to be born from above, born of the Spirit, born of God. God's life coming into us, bringing us alive. So that the life of heaven is in us now. And there's this gift for this lady, Jesus says. There's this gift for us. It's from Jesus because, why? Of who he is. He is the gift that God gave. Great that we had John 3.16. I was going to quote it anyway, so there it was. We've had it twice already. God loved the world, so he gave his only son. He, that's the gift. Jesus is the gift. So we can believe in him. We need not be judged, but we can have eternal life. There again is that phrase, eternal life. John loves that phrase, eternal life. We'll keep hearing it right the way through. It's from God, a gift, eternal life. And it means much more than living forever. (laughs) It's much more than that. And here is Jesus offering this gift of living water to this Samaritan woman. There was a woman from Samaria who was um, not just naturally hated by all the Jews, not just um, from Samaria, not just with a dodgy religion, but also, we discover, with quite a a dubious lifestyle, as uh, the Jews at the time would have it. Let's read on, verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. This woman thinks that the living water Jesus offers her means that she won't have to keep coming back to the well to get water from the well. So she asks Jesus, yeah, oh, please give me some of this water. That would be brilliant. Then I wouldn't have to keep coming back here with my bucket every day in the heat of the day to get water. Uh, So give it to me. Jesus doesn't. He says, no, I'm, I'm not going to do that. Actually, would you mind just, just go back and get your husband, and then we can, have a, we can have a chat about it then. And then he talks to her about the many failed relationships there's been in her life. Now, why, why does he do that? Where's that come from? Is he just flashing his um, prophetic powers around to impress her that he knew something? And she was impressed by that. But no, I think the reason is this. You see, the gift that Jesus gives us, the gift God gives us through Jesus, displaces substitutes that there are in our lives. See, later in the passage, Alison will speak on it next week, 
The woman says, the woman sums up this conversation she has with Jesus to all her friends and neighbors. She she says this twice in verse 29 and verse 39. She says, come see this man who told me everything I ever did. Jesus, what did Jesus tell her? You've uh, You've had five husbands and you've got a man who's not your husband. To her, it was everything. That was the kind of place that the series of relationships had in her life. He told her about a series of broken relationships. Now, is this where she was trying to get her spiritual satisfaction, maybe? All of her life, sorry, all of this in her life, Jesus is saying, is in the place where God has to be in our lives. And Jesus says, this needs to change. And she has to see that before she can kind of receive this gift Jesus offers her. It's what the Bible calls repentance. When we need to see what's wrong in our lives, to change our minds about the way the the things that kind of are, are the center of our lives displace God and turn from those things. To realize that we need God's help to change. Jesus doesn't condemn the woman, actually. He doesn't give her a bad time. I mean, it may have been a bit awkward for her. He simply brings to light the central driver of her entire life. He told me everything I ever did. I say all he's done. It's a pretty amazing thing, isn't it? He's kind of put his finger onto the issue for her. The thing that was right at the center of everything that drove her in every way. And he simply asks her to give him the right to speak into that central area and bring change. Now here's the question. Will we allow Jesus to do that in our lives? To allow him to have the say on the things that drive us? Those areas that are deep in our lives that define us? Maybe those areas that, in a sense, we worship because we find our meaning from them. We treasure them. You know, it might be a series of relationships or or, or the whole thing about relationships. It it might be our family. It might be our work. It might might be anything, you know. But Jesus is getting across the idea that anything that displaces God at the center of our lives shouldn't be there. God should be there. So is this woman going to let Jesus speak into this part of her life? Are we? Well, let's read on. Woman, you know, she's asked this question about being Jesus being a prophet. And this is Jesus' answer. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans uh, worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and now and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the, in, in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. See, she sees that Jesus is a prophet. Lots of people believe that in the world. 
He's just spoken truth to her. He's demonstrated that. So she asks him a kind of safer question. And the question is all about the Samaritan way of worshipping compared with the Jewish way. Uh, The Jews worshipped in Jerusalem on Mount Zion. The Samaritans had another mountain in their territory called Mount Gerizim. And so she kind of asking a question that was a hot topic at the time. So should we worship here or should we worship there? You're a prophet. Help me understand that kind of thing. Uh, I don't know whether it's a kind of distraction question or not. Now, Jesus' answer is interesting, isn't it? Because he goes behind the question and he points her not to the right way to worship, but to something really, really different. He talks about a time that's coming. Actually, he says, the time is here right now. He says to the lady, as I'm here, it's actually about to, it's breaking in right now, this new time. And what's different? What is different? A time's coming where... Everything about worshipping God is completely different. And this is the fourth and final bit of the gift that Jesus offers. Because there's this gift of worshipping the Father who finds us. Why is it different? Because Jesus says God is a Father. God can be known. People who worship him won't need to worship him on a mountain or in a place, but in the Spirit and in truth, says Jesus. This God, says Jesus, this Father is looking for people. He's seeking them out. He's seeking worshippers. He's looking for them. His heart, his passion is, is to know people. And it doesn't matter whether they're on Mount Gerizim or on Mount Zion. Nothing matters more than that they know God, who's the Father who wants them, who loves them, and who wants their worship and wants to give them this gift of water, of life. And you know, Jesus says to the lady, you can be one of them. God is not confined to one place. He's experienced as the Holy Spirit. He's worshipped and experienced by people with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the one who gives living water. It's a symbol of the Spirit. We see that elsewhere in John's Gospel. He's the one we saw a few weeks ago baptizes people with the Holy Spirit. He gives the Holy Spirit to people. We read earlier that he gives the Spirit without limit. We saw that last week. Jesus is the one who who makes God known, who brings the Holy Spirit into people's lives. And Jesus is saying to the woman, God can be known. God can, we can, as it were, he can introduce himself to us. He can come into our lives. We can know him in the Spirit. So Jesus is saying that anyone from anywhere can know God, can worship him because of the life Jesus gives us by the Holy Spirit as we're born from above. Just what he said to, John, uh, to Nicodemus. But he says we worship in truth as well. It's not any old spirituality. Jesus said of himself, I am the truth. It's the, the, the water he gives Beware of substitutes, of substitute spiritualities. Check out spirituality if you're looking for it. It has to be in the truth. Jesus says we worship. God seeks worshippers who will worship in spirit and in truth. That's why this gift of living water has to displace what's wrong in our lives. What doesn't align in our lives with God's truth, God's holiness, needs to be changed, needs to be washed, needs to be refreshed 
and needs to be renewed. And that's a process that goes on, isn't it, in our lives as believers. We're all needing to walk in that life and to, to know our lives continually being refreshed and aligned and changed and adjusted in line with, with the truth as the Spirit helps us. We're spirit and truth people. We worship God in the Holy Spirit and in the truth. That's why we need the Spirit and the Word to, uh, together. And this woman looks at Jesus. I love this last verse. She, uh, you, know, she, you can just see her stopping. And it, the kind of wheels are going around. She's a Samaritan. She's in a terrible mess. She's an outcast. She's probably at the well at midday because the other women would make it hard for her. Women in these cultures, uh, Meg, you've lived in a culture like that, they don't, get, well, they don't come in the middle of the day, do they? They come in the morning or in the evening. No one in their right mind. Only mad days, mad dogs and Englishmen go out in the midday sun. You know, the, the women don't do the water then. They come, but this lady's on her own. Only Jesus by the well and her. Why is that then? We can only speculate. Might have got something to do with some of the men that she'd had. Might have or now be you know, married to some of the other women in the village. I don't know. It's a small village. You know how things can be in small villages. But the point, there she is. She's on her own. She's in a mess. She's an outcast, possibly. But she hears talk, Jesus talking about a father who seeks worshippers. She hears talk, Jesus talking about a day that's coming and is now right there in front of her. When people will know the father's love, will know the father's heart, can know the father for themselves because he's seeking them. And she blurts out what Samaritans and Jews, both of them, kind of long for. They said, well, we know that one day we'll know all the answers to this because the Messiah is coming, Christ is coming, the anointed one. God's sending someone, and then we'll know. And Jesus says right out with it, it's me. I'm here. It's now. You can have it. Yes, you, he says, Samaritan woman. No matter about the mess you're in, you can have it. Just go back. To the village and so on. Well, what happens next? Well, you have to wait and see till next week to see what happens. But I will tell you, she does go back to the village and she doesn't just bring her husband. I don't know what, how that works, but she brought the, entire, she brought the entire village back to see Jesus. But as I say, next week, Alison Smith, uh, one of our mission partners, will be telling you all about that, leading us through it. So let's finish then. Jesus is the one who gives the gift of God because he is the gift of God. The gift that breaks down barriers. So are we going to carry that gift to others? Or are we going to just let the barriers stop us? The gift of living water. Is that our living water? Are we drinking of it? Are we experiencing that spring of water bubbling up to eternal life? Are we filled with the Holy Spirit? We leak a bit, don't we? Often we do, I do anyway. We need to be refilled. We need to come back. Our life needs to be aligned because it's the gift that displaces substitutes. So what are the substitutes? What needs to be brought to Jesus for him to start working on and changing? And the gift of worshipping the Father who finds us. The Father seeks worshippers. I love that truth. Just, you could dwell upon it for ages. 
The God the Father is looking for people. He's seeking them actively in spirit and truth. He seeks me. He seeks you. He seeks others. He's seeking my friends. He's seeking my neighbors. He's seeking my family. He's seeking our work colleagues. He's seeking all those people on our front lines with greater passion than we can ever have. And he invites us to be part of it. It's a privilege, isn't it? The Father seeks worshippers. Let's continue worshipping him together. Thanks.